This mixed force of British uh, troops was backed up by a reserve force of some 600, uh, what was called the, the Waikato Militia. Um, the militia had in its ranks uh, both locals and a lot of recruits from Australia, um, drawn to New Zealand by promises of land in return for military service. So the life of Te was embodied in prophecies in the Old Testament, the story about the vicar and his wife arguing the pros and cons of having this intelligent young man in their school, what they were going to do with him. After nearly 50 years of neglect, Pākehā New Zealanders began remembering the wars fought on their own shores, and in part that could be seen to reflect a, a nostalgia for the pioneering period of the 19th century that had passed. Um, veterans of the wars were reaching the final years, and there was a, a desire to capture their stories before it was too late. When they came home, he wahangu te katoa almost of rata. They didn't want to talk about the war. They would only talk about the war in the pub, so if you were lucky to be at the RSA and crept up behind a group of 28 Māori Battalion veterans, you could hear what they were talking about. But otherwise, they did not tell you. And I think it's important, if we are to, to, to think about the memory of war, that we understand and know what they're doing. And so Monty uh, Suter's book, Ngā Tamatoa, my book on Ake Ake Kiakahe on B Company, and Harawira Peerless's book on D Company, are those kinds of ways that we can record that memory and we can pass it on to the next generation. Researchers, historians and authors, Buddy McKayre, Hardy Williams, Dr Vincent O'Malley and Sir Widow Gardner discuss the New Zealand land wars at a symposium hosted by tertiary institution Te Whare Wānanga o Awanuiarangi in Whakatāne. Calvin Day is the Tumwaki or head of Puke Ariki Museum in New Plymouth. Before taking up the position, he was the manager of the Heritage Collections. He has worked extensively in several museums and holds a Master's in Anthropology from the University of Auckland. Calvin Day edited the book Contested Ground, Te Whenua Itohia, The Taranaki Wars 1860-1881, published by Huia in 2010 to coincide with the 150th anniversary of the start of the Taranaki Wars. From the New Zealand Land Wars Symposium, hosted recently by Te Whare Wānanga o Awanuiarangi, anaira te kōrero a Calvin Day. Tēnā koutou a mātātua waka, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou o Ngāti Awa me tūhoe iwi, tēnā koutou katoa ko tai mai nei ki tō tautoko tēnei rā. Mai, mai ngā iwi o Taranaki Whānui, hi mihi, hi tangi motorātou kua wehe, ka awatea, tihe Māori ora. The New Zealand Wars have been commemorated in a number of ways over the past 150 years. For Pākehā, these range from simple family occasions where medals and photographs of their forebears are discussed to formal expressions of remembrance. These may take the form of books or articles, flags and hatchments hung in churches, memorials, signposted battle sites or trails, many of which are now available via apps, or the marking of significant battle anniversaries. This morning I want to focus on three Taranaki war battles and how each have been commemorated. I do this in order to 
to track the changing nature and focus of such commemorations and how they have evolved from, from focusing solely on Pākehā veterans to commemorations that begin to reflect all who were involved. The three I want to discuss are the Battle of Wairaka at the First Taranaki War, Te Nutu o Te Manu during the South Taranaki War, and the invasion of Parihaka. Following the bombardment of Wurumukingi Tarangatake's Te Kohia Pā at Waitara on the 17th of March 1860, when members of Taranaki Iwi and those to the south moved to construct at Omata on the southern outskirts of New Plymouth as a show of support for Te Atiawa. Known as Kaipopo, the pā was quickly constructed on a high ridge using materials found quickly at hand, fence posts, wire and weatherboards of a nearby settler house. Following the killing of five settlers at Omata, there was increasing fears that New Plymouth was under threat. On the 28th of March, a military force was sent out to the Olmata district to rescue the remaining settlers. Approximately 120 troops, along with some 100 local volunteers and militia under Lieutenant Colonel Murray, proceeded out to the district. Having spotted settlers marching along the beach, Murray left Kaipopo and moved to a stream below. Following several hours of firing, ammunition on both sides was low. Murray was then to make a call which resulted in him receiving severe criticism, which was, according to the orders he had been given, to march his men back to New Plymouth around 5.30pm. Returning to New Plymouth, they were passed by Captain Craycroft of the HMS Niger, with 60 of his men on the way out to the battle. It was then left to Craycroft's men to storm Kaipopo, resulting in a number of Maori being killed, including three prominent chiefs. However, Craycroft's men did not contact the maroon settlers or the militia before returning to New Plymouth. It was only after Māori, hearing the action centred on Koipopo Pā, abandoned their positions by the stream that allowed the militia and settlers to safely return to New Plymouth. Much has been written about this engagement and is still being dissected and keenly debated today. But what I want to focus on is how the battle was subsequently commemorated, especially as it was the only battle from the engagement of the First Taranaki War to be commemorated specifically. Hailed at the time as an heroic victory by the settler militia, their brave deeds became well and truly mythologised in Taranaki military history. For many years following the wars, it seemed no formal commemoration occurred, probably due to the Pākehā thinking that their job was done and everyone just needed to move on. It appears that the first attempt to formally assemble the veterans who had been participated in the Battle of Wairaka was part of the 50th anniversary of the arrival of the Plymouth Company settlers to New Plymouth. And the organising committee decided that the survivors of the Battle of Wairaka will be invited to form part of the procession and march with their colours. This they duly did, and their names were published in the local press. What was regarded as the first official celebration of the uh, anniversary of the Battle of Wairaka was held on the 29th of March 1897, this took the form of a dinner with veterans and invited guests, after which several speeches were made and reminiscences given. Over the following two years, nothing further occurred. However, the 40th anniversary was marked with a, pic a veterans' picnic on the scene of the action on the 29th of March 1900. New Plymouth businesses were invited to close for the afternoon so that as many as possible could, could be able to attend. From the press report, it is unclear how many public attended, but at least 41 veterans were present. 
On the 42nd anniversary, the Taranaki Herald printed a supplement history of the Battle of Wairaka. The next commemoration was the 50th, which, as would, as would be expected, took a festive flavour with colours of the Taranaki rifles flying, band music and local citizenry acknowledging the Wairaka heroes as they marched. On the morning of the 28th of March 1910, 52 veterans assembled in central New Plymouth where they were photographed and then marched to nearby St Mary's Church where a service was held. After lunch, the veterans visited the local rifle range where the old settlers indulged in shooting with a vim. In the evening, dinner was held. Little occurred in the way of formal commemorations over the next 10 years, but the occasion of the 60th anniversary was also marked with a church service at St Mary's. A search through the local media failed to turn up any reference to a 75th anniversary being held in 1935. By the time of the centennial in 1960, the New Plymouth Historical Society took the lead and organised commemorations. In the days leading up to the event, accounts of the Battle of Wairaka were published in the local press. On the actual day, an estimated 600 people were present, including members of the Maori community who had been noticeably absent from previous events, along with military personnel and civic leaders. Interestingly, the proceedings were carried out not on Kaipopo Pa, but on the nearby Wairaka Redoubt, which was a Pākehā military site constructed in 1860. This time, a more bicultural approach was taken in comparison with the earlier events. Proceedings began with a traditional whirl, followed by a welcome from Kaumatua George Koya. One of the church leaders present, the Reverend Mangatitoka Cameron, gave a particularly perceptive address, which was subsequently published in full in the two Taranaki regional papers. Cameron took the opportunity to record that racial relations in New Zealand were not always as they were now, and therefore could deteriorate again. He continued, Because we are today one nation, let us not be too self-satisfied, much less self-righteous. Do not misconstrue these words. We are none of us blameless. We had our intertribal wars. What you call the Maori Wars ought to be renamed the Pākehā Wars, not British Wars. By the same token, what you term rebels are our heroes. The murders, reprisal killing, the victory our loss. While Cameron's words were warmly embraced as part of the centennial, they were, I suspect, forgotten soon afterwards. Both the 120th, the 25th and 150th anniversaries passed without acknowledgement, although Wairaka did feature in the uh, 150th Taranaki Wars anniversary exhibition held in 2010 at Pukiariki in New Plymouth. I now turn to Tunituo Tumanu, the forest stronghold of the great Ngāruahine warrior and strategist Rifa Titukowaru, situated in South Taranaki. Titukowaru was involved in a number of engagements in the Second Taranaki War, perhaps most noticeably at, uh, at, notably at Century Hill in North Taranaki, where he lost the sight in one eye. In 1867, he led a series of five peace marches, which, along with other initiatives, was an attempt to try and see how the war could be ended. However, these proved unsuccessful when he returned to his stronghold. After goading the colonist army into Tunutu Otomanu on the 7th of September 1868, he and his warriors inflicted maximum impact when Gustavus Ferdinand von Temsky was among the 20 killed. The unthinkable had happened, as von Temsky was such a living legend that the psychological impact of his death made a huge impact on his men and many others throughout New Zealand.
In the course of surveying the Waimati Plains in the early 1880s, Te Nutua Te Manu Reserve was set aside. In February 1884, a domain board comprising of Pākehā settlers, several of whom were actually present at the final battle, were charged with administering the 50-acre reserve around the disastrous spot where Von Temsky fell in 1868. The plan was for 10 acres to be fenced off and treated in every respect as a cemetery. The site was obviously seen as being of value and with special significance. But for whom? Records of the early discussions of the board show that the significance was not about it being a strategic stronghold of a Maori military genius and his warriors. Rather, it was a place where the seemingly invincible von Temsky was killed. The concrete monument that sits on Te Nitua Te Manu today was unveiled in April 1886 and is the earliest Taranaki Wars memorial in Taranaki. Also, part of the domain at this time was a somewhat less grand monument, a cross consisting of two pieces of fern tree nailed together that were said to mark the spot where von Temsky had fallen. The surveyor Edwin Brooks recorded that he and his men were told of the spot von Temsky fell by Cartany, one of the warriors present, and that they marked it with a ponga cross within a small enclosure. Later, in 1886, the rata that had sheltered Māori marksmen and that had been damaged by fire were falling, and the Kayanga site was being cleared, fenced, and ornamental trees planted. Six years later, it was noted that the old ratas, monarchs of trees, and white pines, which were witness to von Temsky's fall, are being wiped out to make room for pines of another country. By 1895, it was recorded that the grounds, which were originally full of Maori holes, had been cultivated and levelled. The removal of any above-ground vestige indicating that this place had once been a strong Maori village was now complete. It had been transformed into a very Pākehā-looking picnic area. By the early 1900s, many of the veterans had died and thoughts were turning to the 40th anniversary. This was celebrated at Tenutua Te Manu on the 7th of September 1908, where seven survivors who had participated in the battle were present along with the Honourable Robert McNabb, who was personally introduced to the veteran and examined the medals worn. It was reported that between 1,500 and 3,000 people were present, but the reporter saw but two Māoris, a youth and a boy, which is rather singular when it was remembered that it was a British defeat and not a British victory that the Pākehās had assembled to commemorate. It was noted that many tributes were paid to von Temsky's memory. The main organiser of the commemoration, the Reverend Kilgenda, stated, It is manifest that the settlers of today had not forgotten that the peace and prosperity was due in great measure to the sacrifice and work of the men whose memory they were now honouring. However, the Reverend T.G. Hammond, West Coast Māori Minister, sounded a warning, saying he would not say much about the Tenutua Te Manu gathering, but he thought it was a mistake because it would have a really very bad effect upon the Māori people and it would stir up bitter feelings. There appears to be no record of any commemoration being held on the 50th or 75th anniversaries. However, the centennial was marked on the 7th of September 18, uh, 1968, also commemorated on the same day was the attack on Turuturu Mokai Redoubt on the outskirts of present-day Hawara, which was attacked in the early hours of the 12th of July, 1868, by warriors sent by Titukawaru, and a number of men were killed, uh, of, in the redoubt were killed. A joint committee was set up 
to manage the proceedings for both events. Among the guests at Tenutua Tamanu were more than 50 descendants of the militia and armed constabulary who were present at the battle, along with over 200 guests. They were addressed by Rigby Allen, director of the Taranaki Museum, and this was followed by the planting of two kaori, uh, a tree that is not endemic to Taranaki region. On display was the New Zealand cross worn by the inspector John Roberts, along with a range of Māori and Pākehā weaponry. As on previous occasions, it would appear that no Māori spoke at this event. Allen's address, which was also used again at Turuturu Mōkai, focused on remembering the Māori loss, the loss of their lands, their homes and their economic base. He noted that the 1927 Sim Commission stated that Māori were not in rebellion against the Crown, but rather defending what was belonging to them. He stated that in 1968, race relations still needed to be work on, worked on. He said, let us continually seek the common ground of our humanity and our citizenship. Let us learn from one another. Let us work for more advances in Māori education. Let us seek more opportunities for Māori and gainful employment. The 125th anniversary in 1993 was not marked in any official way. As part of Ngāruhini's Treaty of Waitangi Settlement Package in 2015, Te Nutuatumanu Reserve has been passed back from the South Taranaki District Council to the iwi. The signing of Ngāruhini's Settlement Package with the Crown on the site of Te Nutuatumanu in front of a crowd of 500 was usually symbolic in that it returned the whenua and the mana of this significant place back to its rightful owners. Next year sees the 150th anniversary and Ngāruahini are in the early stages of planning what it will look like. I would say watch this space. Now to Parihaka. As most of you will be aware, Parihaka, situated just inland of Cape Egmont, was the centre of a large community based on passive resistance under the leadership of Te Whitiorongomai and Tohukakahi. Actions such as ploughing settlers' fields, pulling survey pegs and fencing across surveyed roads during the late 1870s in coastal Taranaki greatly frustrated the settler government. This culminated in the invasion of Parihaka by 1,500 military personnel on the 5th of November 1881, when Tohu and, and, uh, Te and Tohu were arrested, Taonga looted, women raped, the village dismantled and the people dispersed. On the 5th of November 1931, a celebratory afternoon tea was held in New Plymouth to mark the 50th anniversary of the evasion of Parihaka. The local press reported that 40 individuals attended, however only one Māori, Wikupe, was present. He had been taken prisoner at Parihaka and served time in Littleton Jail. The proceedings can now only be viewed as somewhat bizarre. Statements were made as to how the invasion had led to a permanent peace between native and Pākehās. The organiser, one-time former Mayor of New Plymouth and businessman Richard Koch, is said to have told the audience that the evasion was the greatest picnic he had ever been at, a real huge genuine picnic which everyone seemed to enjoy thoroughly. However, it was not to end there. A toast was proposed to commerce, whereby those present did not charge their glasses with alcohol, but milk. Why? Because milk was the main source of Taranaki's great revenue, and this great revenue was being made on land that had been confiscated from its original Māori owners, who were now largely unable to share in the great revenue, many suffering extreme financial hardship as a result. We can only wonder why, what Wikupe thought of this, and whether he actually regretted attending. 
the 75th anniversary does not appear to have been marked. But by the time the centennial anniversary came around, it was a very different affair. This time, Māori from Parihaka were clearly in the driving seat. As would be expected, considerable discussion took place as to what should happen. A suggested reenactment of the 1881 invasion was quickly dismissed as inappropriate. Leading up to the event, a number of buildings were repaired and painted, including Tefiti's tomb. On the weekend of the centennial, over 5,000 people descended on Parihaka, including many dignitaries and members of Parliament, in recognition of what was being commemorated. Interestingly, the local print media were strangely silent on the speeches that would have been made. New Plymouth's Gavette Brewster Art Gallery held a major art uh, exhibition in honour of the event, featuring the work of 42 artists such as Ralph Hawthorne, Nigel Brown, Tony Thomason, Patrick Hanley and Michael Smither. These works were subsequently auctioned off and the money raised was given to the people of Parihaka. This review of how these, last, uh, these three events in the Taranaki Wars have been commemorated show how the role and format has changed over time. Initially, each commemoration was an opportunity for the Pākehā veterans to come together and be celebrated. This, of course, is perfectly, un is perfectly understandable given their age and that many were passing away. A theme which ran through the earlier commemorations was that they were all initially centred on the veterans and their good deeds. This is not unexpected given that the drivers for these events were actually the veterans themselves. The events were decidedly monocultural with no Māori involvement. The group photographs, particularly in relation to Wairaka, contained no Māori, and unlike other regions, no group images of Māori veterans were taken at any of these uh, early commemorations. However, once the Pākehā veterans had passed away, the frequency and nature of the commemorations changed. In more recent times, the voice of Māori is clearly present. By the time it came to commemorate the centennial of the 1881 invasion of Parihaka, it was clearly the people of Parihaka who were in charge of how it was to be marked. There were to be no toasts with milk this time round. While a large number of Pākehā were present and made welcome, the proceedings were managed in a Māori way. In their 1990 publication, The Sorrow and Pride of New Zealand War Memorials, historians Chris McLean and Jock Phillips say that the period between 1907 and 1920 was a time when the long generation of apathy and lack of concern in the New Zealand wars came to an end. They identified catalysts for this being events such as the Anglo-Boer uh, War, which helped to infuse the Pākehā population with a new spirit of imperialism. Another compelling reason was that the veterans who participated in the, event, in the wars were beginning to pass away in great numbers. During this 1907-1920 period, more than 20 monuments were erected to the New Zealand wars in various places around New uh, the country, in Taranaki as in other areas. Some of the initial initiatives for these came from the veterans. The monument at Inutuatu Manu was driven by the Domain Board, who were predominantly ex-military. The substantial memorial on New Plymouth's Marsland Hill to the Taranaki wars was the result of pressure and fundraising by veterans. It was a way in which they could be remembered. This now brings me to the question, why should we commemorate the Taranaki Wars in the 21st century? I can only really offer my own thoughts on this, but I strongly believe that if we are to understand who we are as a nation today, that we need to look back on the past and reflect on how it has shaped us. Many of the issues that Taranaki is dealing with today are a result of what happened during the Taranaki Wars. Many of the Taranaki's non-Māori residents 
are probably still unaware that wars were actually fought in the province during the 19th century. It would, I suspect, come as a surprise to many that the 1996 Taranaki Waitangi Tribunal report suggested that no other Māori group in New Zealand felt the impact of warfare and ongoing colonial oppression more than the tribes of Taranaki. The Taranaki Wars resulted in Māori going from being in control of their own destiny and being economically self-sufficient to a situation which saw them having to rely heavily on the state and being on the wrong side of the socio-economic ledger. It is important to remember that thanks to two pieces of legislation, the Crown in 1865 confiscated some 515,974 hectares of Māori land in Taranaki, demonstrating that the pen is indeed mightier than the sword. It would be fair to say that the bulk of today's population are truly unaware of the ongoing effects of this. Associate Professor Peter Adds points out that over time, iwi and hapu structures in Taranaki began to break down. Access to traditional food resources and wahitapu were denied, and speakers of te reo Māori, a fundamental cultural cornerstone, declined to extremely low numbers. Many were encouraged by their parents to adopt Pākehā ways and leave te ao Māori behind as they saw little future in the Māori world. Earlier this year, the Crown Reconciliation Ceremony with the people of Parihaka was an opportunity for the wrongs that occurred at Parihaka to be publicly acknowledged. Coupled with a funding package, Parihaka is now in a position to proactively think about its future and not, as one Kaumatua has stated, be continually defined by its past. The late Sir Paul Reeves had this to say when opening Pukiariki's 2010 exhibition marking the 150th anniversary of the Taranaki Wars. Of course there is a future for Taranaki. It is a place where history can be acknowledged and aspiration honoured. It won't happen easily and it won't happen overnight, but a combination of facts and shared values, the common ground, can see us through. We are called the energy province, but our basic resource is not oil and gas or even milk. Our basic resource and our future will be built upon the people who are here. We must work hard so that our grandchildren have cause to bless us and not to curse us. Since 2010, has been leading an annual commemorative dawn service on the 17th of March, beginning at the Waitara Military Cemetery and then at Te Kohia Pa, the place where the first shots of the Taranaki Wars occurred on the 17th of March, 1860. The intention of these is to acknowledge both sides and to continue the dialogue around the wars. More recently, in 2016, the New Plymouth District Council purchased the parcel of land at Waitara on which Te Kohia sits. That this important site has now been secured opens up exciting opportunities for Iwi and Hapu to work in partnership with others as to how the site is interpreted and, in turn, how the Taranaki Wars can be better understood by all. Remembering the Taranaki Wars, understanding how they have shaped who we are today and commemorating them together, educating the community about them, will go a long way to achieving Reeves' dream. Tumwaki, or head of Pukeariki Museum in New Plymouth, Calvin Day. That was recorded at the New Zealand Land Wars Symposium, hosted by Te Whareiwananga or Awanuiarangi.
nation, just mass resistance. Pull out the survey pegs, plow up the land, pull down the fences. Can't stop the profit in his quest for the people. Drop that thought when you were taught we're all equal. Manifest his own destiny, move with the gods, fought against all odds to find the valley of the hunger of the beast. 